So it was February 2nd, and I was at a meeting with some Indian pastors. We got ready to go. We had a flight to catch. And about that time, we heard some commotion behind us. And there were a group of about 30, maybe 20 to 30 young men coming in. They had bandanas across the lower half of their faces, and they were all carrying bamboo sticks. So we calmly walked with a group of other people who were trying to get downstairs quickly. And when we got downstairs to basically a lobby area, the door was blocked. There were about 30 to 40 more men with sticks blocking the door. So everybody funneled to that lobby type area and just kind of stopped. And then I got a little bit more concerned. At that point, we began looking for an alternate way to, to go out, a back door, a window large enough, whatever we needed to do, and there was none. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with Aaron Miller. Now, that's not his real name, but that's what we're going to call him today. Aaron Miller is uh, a staff member here at The Voice of the Martyrs, almost a year serving along with us. Uh, and as I looked at what Aaron has done before coming to VOM, uh, he has served in gospel work around the world. But maybe even more importantly, he was a middle school Bible teacher at a Christian school, which means if you are a middle school teacher and my wife actually works at a Christian school, Aaron will have many crowns in heaven dealing with middle schoolers every single day. Many crowns are coming his way, so we're not going to talk about that. But Aaron, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Let's talk about I always love talking to people who have, have come to work at VOM after a little while. Okay, what have you found out about VOM that maybe surprised you or that encouraged you or that you were like, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know that was a part of VOM? Yeah, there have been several things that have really surprised us and, and blessed us as our family has kind of come into the community here. I think one of the things that has surprised us and definitely been a blessing is just the like-mindedness of everybody at every level of the organization. And and you really do see that on the chapel meetings when we all get together and the, the people who maybe they're a maintenance person, but they come up and they pray with tears for their brothers and sisters all around the world who are, who are going through persecution. And so that's been tremendous. That's just been amazing. The, the thing that has surprised me personally in my job here is the scope of what VOM is doing around the world. It is mind-blowing to me. And there are many days where I kind of feel like I need to pinch myself and say, how did I get here? What am I doing here? I mean, am I, am I really a part of this big thing that God is doing? And so it's been very encouraging in that way. Let's let's answer that question. How did you get here, or kind of what other than being a middle school teacher? Yeah. Um, how did God prepare you for what you're doing now at VOM in terms of what you've done previously? Our family was blessed. We felt called by the Lord to go and to serve overseas. We lived in several different countries. One of those was in India. So we we were able to live in New Delhi for over five years. 
And that was tremendous. And that, that really was an equipping time for us to see what he's doing among the nations, to see what he's doing in that country and that region of the world specifically. So we were doing that and then had a time, a season being back in the States, and then this door opened for us to come here. So, And now you are serving at VOM in South Asia, which includes India. So your background is kind of uniquely qualifies you for what you're doing today. I really feel like it it, it did. What, what the Lord took us through, the experiences he gave us, my wife, myself, even my children, really prepared us to come to something that we could have never planned. The opportunity with VOM was very much, uh, we've said in our, in our home, we've said that was off the radar. We knew how we possibly could get back into gospel work overseas, but VOM was nowhere on our radar. And so that was even more fun to see the Lord open that door. And I think that's an encouragement for our listeners who maybe are wondering what God is doing with them right now. There is a plan, and He is preparing you, and you may not see it for a number of years, but what's going on right now is has something to do with what He has for you down the road, so I would just encourage you. And Aaron, I want to talk about, you had a, a little taste of persecution during your service in India, and I want you to share that story, uh, because I think that was also part of your preparation to come on board at Voice of the Martyrs. Yeah. Interesting, Todd, a few days ago, that was the 10-year anniversary of an event that, again, I could not have planned, didn't see coming, but it was something God used to, to prepare us for a position like this at VOM. So it was February 2nd, and I was at a meeting with some Indian pastors. I was with another Western worker, and we were simply attending this meeting, Uh, trying to be encouraging, trying to network, trying to see how we could come alongside a group of men who who were faithfully taking the gospel to some very hard places in the central part of India. And so as we were there, we spent all day with them, had a great time, just a, a wonderful time of, I mean, there was passionate praise going on. There was prayer times that was so powerful uh, to see these men and women on their knees praying and asking God to do something in their part of the world. And so at the end of the day, we got ready to go. We had a flight to catch, and my friend and I put our backpacks on and started to say our goodbyes to the key leaders that had invited us and allowed us to be there. And about that time, we heard some commotion behind us, and there were a group of about 30, maybe 20 to 30 young men coming in. They had bandanas across the lower half of their faces, and they were all carrying bamboo sticks. And they began to turn tables over. They began yelling and screaming. The, the pastors and the pastor's wives and the, just anybody who was there for the meeting immediately began to scatter. And really, chaos just sort of erupted. So what was your thought process in that moment? You just had this amazing meeting. You've had a great day. You feel like, man, you're on cloud nine. And then you turn and see these guys with their faces basically looking like bandits. Yes, coming through the door. What was your thought process? Yeah, my friend, he had been on the field for about 20, 25 years. And so we sort of stood together, backed up against a wall, and just began to observe. We we weren't really panicked. We were thinking, okay, this isn't good. Let's, let's see what's going to happen here. And so we kind of just tried to stay to the side. Then we saw an opportunity to, to go down some stairs, to get to a lower level, and then to, to leave. We did remain calm. It wasn't like we were running. So we calmly walked with a group of other people who were trying to get downstairs quickly. 
And when we got downstairs to basically a lobby area, the door was blocked. There were about 30 to 40 more men with sticks blocking the door. So everybody funneled to that lobby type area and just kind of stopped. And then I got a little bit more concerned. At that point, we began looking for an alternate way to to go out, a back door, a, a window large enough, whatever we needed to do. And there was none. And so we just kind of stood still, kind of waited. At that point, he and I became separated in the crowd. There were a a large number of people in that area. And this one gentleman, a bandit-looking guy, caught my eye from from across the room. And he began pushing people out of the way, pushing the, the nationals, the Indian pastors and pastors' wives out of the way. And he made his way through the crowd to me and very roughly grabbed the back of my collar, the back of my shirt, then started to, to move me, uh, direct me out towards the front door. He grabbed my friend along the way. He saw him also, grabbed him. So I was in front and my friend was behind me and the gentleman had us with both of his hands. So he's leading us out towards the front door. And at that point in my mind, I really thought, you know, we're Americans. He, he's not going to want to harm us. Um, he's just kicking us out. And literally the thought in my mind was, I really feel bad for the pastors and the pastor's wives who are still trapped because it's going to be bad for them. So that was that was the thought uh-huh. going out. It changed quickly. Once we got out the front door, there were two lines of men with those sticks, those bamboo sticks I was telling you about earlier, and they began to swing. They were hitting across the top of our head and the back of, of necks. Men began to kick. They kicked me in my ribs. They were yelling, just really, you know, yelling things like, this is India. You can't do this. You can't be here. Why are you here? So then I got worried. Then I was very concerned, obviously. So we continued through that line. I kind of had my hands up over my head trying to shield some of the blows, was definitely feeling the blows. Mm -hmm. He's leading us through this this kind of gauntlet sort of, you know, of people, uh, very angry people. He gets us to a gate that leads to the road at that point. So we're outside but we're going towards a gate that, that leads to the road. And when we get close to the gate, a gentleman comes through that gate from the road with a, a very angry look on his face. I mean, just a hate-filled look is the only way I can describe it. And he walks straight up to me, and he reaches his hand way back. I mean, just so far back. And then he comes with a full swing and slaps me right across the cheek. Um, I had a pair of glasses on. They went flying. The man that was holding me almost dropped me and had to pull me back up to to get me back balanced again. And there were two thoughts that flew into my mind. I don't know how the Lord does it, but there were two thoughts simultaneously that came to my mind. And one was, this just got a lot worse than I imagined. (laughs) Um, This just took a turn. Exactly, exactly. But then the second thought, and I, I even hesitate to say second thought because it was so quickly there. Um, on a spiritual level, this is incredible. I, I, that's literally what my mind went through. In fact, I, I, I wrote that in my journal when I got home. On a spiritual level, this is incredible because I knew the scriptures and I knew what it said about people who, who suffered in the name of Christ. And, and it blew me away. So immediately there was some concern. But immediately there was also this peace, this overwhelming sense of, wow, something spiritual is happening here. And as you say, the scriptures talk about that as being an honor. 
Yeah. This is a this is a compliment that God allowed this to happen to you. And it's interesting that even in that moment you felt that sense yes. of wow, God God is really blessing me. Yes. And I think for most of us comfortable American Christians and I'm one of them, when we think about someone being persecuted, that's not what we think they're going through. Correct. We don't think of man, that guy was he was probably really feeling God's presence, wasn't right, he? Right, right. <laughs> uh, we think, man, I bet he wished he was home in bed. Yes. Um, so what came of that event then? What, what yeah. happened after that? Well, after that, they take us out to the road, and they, there's a circle that forms around us, and people are still kicking, people are still pushing, they're still yelling at us, shoving us, and they take our backpacks off. And I was very concerned about this. I had a laptop that had a lot of information on it that was very private and really needed to stay private. And so that was a concern to me, but they just took the backpack and some guy took it off on a motorcycle and went down the street with it and it was gone. Had had my passport in it. Oh my. Had lots of things in it that I wished I need or I needed, really. So that was gone. And then a car pulls up. It was a smaller car, and as soon as the car pulled up, the men start talking loudly together. A guy gets out of the car and and he's talking to the guys that were holding us. And they're, they're kind of saying some words. I'm catching like every fifth word in Hindi, you know. I'm trying to stay calm enough where I can try to listen to what's happening. And I just said a quick prayer. And there was a, a strong sense that I didn't want to get in that car. There was a really a spirit of fear that came at that point. And I just said a prayer quickly to myself. Lord, I don't want to get in that car. Please don't let me get in that car. It was that simple. And so a few more minutes go by, they're still conversing with each other, and then the car drives away without us. Oh, wow. They did not put us in the car, it just left empty. Nobody got in. I mean, n- nothing happened with the car, so I don't know what, was, what that was about. Then they put us on motorcycles. And this part is going to be a little bit humorous, and people may think, how in the world could you find humor? But even at the moment, I kind of did. So they had a guy driving the motorcycle, and then they put me on the motorcycle behind him, and then another Indian guy to probably make sure I didn't jump off or something, was on the motorcycle (laughs) behind us. So there's three grown men on a pretty small motorcycle in Asia. Which is not an uncommon sight in in that part of the world. Exactly. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm still getting hit. I'm on the motorcycle with these two guys around me. I'm still getting hit with, with sticks. I'm still getting pushed and kicked. So I leaned up toward the driver thinking, well, maybe they'll deflect and hit him and he'll tell him to stop. Stop swinging the sticks. That's right. That's right. You guys lay off him, okay? Lay off. So they take us down the road, not very far. I was in the motorcycle in front. My friend was on the motorcycle, on a separate motorcycle behind me. We go down the road and they turn off with me to one side street and my friend keeps going. I remember looking back over my shoulder and they took him a different direction. I was very concerned about that. So they take me into kind of an, the best way to describe it is an alley behind some homes. They tell me to get off. And that was another point where I got a little concerned. We're back behind houses. There's nobody around that can see us. And it, so at that point, I did get some fear, came back, and I was very concerned with what's going to happen now. Even kind of letting my mind go to places like this could really be bad. They got me off the motorcycle. They asked for my mobile phone. They asked for my cell phone. And I had a a case on my belt, and it was empty. And I said, I I don't know where my phone is. I had slipped it into my pocket at some point. I don't know when. And the guy looked in one pocket, and he pulled out some money, and he put the money back in my pocket. So he didn't want my money, which, (laughs) praise the Lord. And then he reached in my other pocket and found my cell phone, and he took it with him, and they drove off. And they left me there. 
So, wow. so that was kind of also another point where I feel like God intervened to just say, no, no, I've got you. I'm protecting you. You mentioned that you had the thought, this God is blessing me. This is an amazing spiritual experience. Yeah. Did that thought kind of come and then go? <laughs> or did you kind of have that through that, through the motorcycle ride into the alley? Did you feel that the whole time? Yeah. I had a sense of calm, but I probably wouldn't say I was thinking that thought the whole time. <laughs> there, I was very aware of what, looking at surroundings. Okay, where are, they, where are they taking me? They're taking me here. So that I could kind of get my mm-hmm. bearings. I was in a city that I'd never been in. I hadn't lived there before. And so it, it was just kind of all new. So I was trying my best to stay calm and take things in. But I was not, I didn't have that thought running through my head the whole time. So they left you. Yeah. Eventually you get back to your family. Yeah. What happened to the pastors and the pastor's wives who were at the meeting with you? Yeah. They did go through some persecution that day. The men stayed there and caused havoc. A lot of them ran and got away, but it was a big deal. It It was in a local newspaper in that city. It even made some into some small parts of newspapers in Delhi, uh, the capital city. It didn't have names or anything like that, but it did talk about the incident, uh, which we found kind of interesting. Yeah. Accurately or not? Somewhat accurately. accurately yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did that change your ministry, that experience? How did that change you and how did it change the work that you were doing? Yeah. My wife and I spent the next few days intensely looking at the scriptures. I will say this, my wife was amazing because after a few days of of just kind of holding up in our apartment and trying to decide what does God want us to do now? Should we leave for a time, go back to the U.S.? Do we stay? And, And she quickly said to me, we can't leave unless God has told us to leave. And that was amazing to hear a godly woman who's in this thing with you to say that really was amazing. So we didn't leave. We didn't leave the country, which I think was key. And we just listened for God's voice. And as we poured through Scripture for for days and even weeks after that, the suffering that you see in Scripture was so highlighted to us. And, And, you know, where it says, don't be surprised at these trials that come. Previously, I had read that and I knew it, but it was more of an intellectual thing. And this was very much a real thing now. Very real. Yeah. And your friend, the foreigner that was with yes. you, yeah. he's okay too. He's okay. We okay. met. We, we were able to meet back up at the airport. We got on the plane together. And I remember sitting next to him on the plane flying back to Delhi. And I looked at him and I said, you know, maybe we won't travel together for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your computer and your passport? Any yeah. any fallback on those or... You know, we we prayed for many days and many weeks that the computer would just crash or would have been damaged in some of the the chaos. And uh, we never heard anything. You know, we never had people that we were connected to get kicked out of the country or anything like that. So Praise the Lord. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So after that time, I, I would assume the Indian people that you were working with, the Christians would maybe feel more of a sense of camaraderie with you that, okay, this guy, he's not just a foreigner. He's, he's been through the same things we go through. Yeah. I guess I tried to bring it up at appropriate times. I I didn't want to wear it as a badge necessarily. I didn't want to be prideful. I mean, I was not a speaker. I was not doing anything there. You know, it was just some people would say wrong place, wrong time. I don't say that. No. I knew that it was by God's design. Now, 
Yeah. Was the perception of the attackers that you and the other foreigner were in charge of this meeting or that you had had led the meeting? Because you said you were just there really observing yeah. and fellowshipping. Yeah. They didn't care. They it, it they just... knew enough that we were foreigners and we were Christians. So they knew we were involved somehow. And so, you know, the things they were saying to me through this time, the, the little bit of English that would come out was you can't do this in India. We don't want you here in India. We know what you're doing, those kinds of things. And and I would try occasionally, you know, on the motorcycle, I would try to tell these guys, hey, I, I love your country. I'm trying to help your country um, on that short little motorcycle ride. Well, and I think for our listeners to understand, the, the Hindu nationalist mindset is India is a 100% Hindu country. Yeah. We always want it to be 100% Hindu. And here these foreigner Christians are talking Hindus out of being Hindu. Exactly. So therefore, you're our enemy. We need to respond to protect our country, to protect our culture and, and keep that 100% Hindu India, even though it's not 100%. There's lots right. of Muslims. There's lots of Christians. There's lots Buddhist, of yeah. non-Hindus. but they don't really account for that in their mindset. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He is one of our workers in South Asia, and uh, we've just been talking about an experience that he had 10 years ago uh, in his ministry in India that has kind of prepared him, and I think you would say you've carried that with you ever since. That yes. That's, that's been something that was kind of a pivotal point in in you walking with God, understanding what that means. And I love the willingness to stay, yeah. not only from you, but from your wife as well, Amen. to say, hey, we've just had this experience. Uh, it obviously could have been much worse, sure, but still, it's a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah. I think the natural response would be, hey, let's go home for a while. We'll yep. kind of, you know, we need to think about this. We need to talk to some people. We need to pray about this. Your response was, well, unless God is calling us to go home. Correct. We need to stay here because this is where he called us. I had an interesting conversation with my brother a few days after this incident. We, we of course, wanted to call our family and, and let them know what had happened and that everything was okay now. We didn't know if it would go into the international media or not, so we did want to prepare them if they heard something. And my, my brother, who's younger, and he's, he's a believer, he's a strong, I mean, just a great guy, you know, strong believer, but he asked me, are you going to come home now? <laughs> and I, over the phone, I paused, I hesitated, and probably with a conviction that was deeper than I realized at the time, um, it just kind of welled up inside me. And I said, I, I can't, I can't come home. Do, do the guys who are on the front lines in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or other wars, do they get to go home when the enemy fires back? They don't. And so my wife and I really took that approach. And and it wasn't even something we kind of dreamed up and said, oh, if this ever happens, we'll have this mentality. It just spilled out. It just kind of came from reading the scriptures. And we knew this was a counterattack from our enemy. And we knew we were in a war. And we knew we'd signed up for that. So just because he was firing back, we couldn't go home. The other thing that I, I think your story brings out is the... Uh, the great protection that we have as Americans. I think, you know, I know early on your response was, well, wait a minute, they're not going to do anything to me. Exactly. I'm an American. We can get on the plane and, and leave. Uh, I, I often think of that as we go overseas and meet with our brothers and sisters. People will say, well, aren't you afraid? Well, no, I'm not afraid. I have a plane ticket home. The people that I'm meeting with 
they face a much greater risk than I do. They really do. They're still there. Yeah. Uh, and meeting with foreigners is often not a popular thing in their country for them to be caught doing. So uh, that's something that I always keep in mind as I travel. As we finish up, India has changed over the last couple of years in terms of persecution and in terms of hostility. Talk a little bit about what's going on now from the standpoint of, of government persecution. What does persecution look like right now in India? Yeah, persecution is, is changed. Um, it has changed over the last few years. When we were living there several years ago, it very much was social. It, it was all social persecution. You would have neighbors who would kind of get upset with people for changing the culture. And now we're seeing that the government is getting a little more assertive, and they're starting to, they've always kind of looked the other way when persecution was going on, but now there's a, a little bit more, we feel like there's some more rigid guidelines being put in place, things being enforced now. I was just on the phone with one of our field workers this morning, and they really sense, the Christian community all over India really senses that the pressure has raised several notches. Mm-hmm. It's much more organized now. Uh, you, you see all over the country persecutions happening. They feel like that some of these Hindu extremist groups are, are well connected to each other, so it's not isolated anymore. There really is a concerted effort to cause pastors to vacate churches. That's what the, the, the partner told me this morning as I was talking with her. They want pastors to vacate churches. They want church, the, the members to not go there. They, they want to disrupt them so much that they just won't come back. What about for the country as a whole? Uh, I think of, of government authorities. We always want to encourage people to pray for government officials to come yes. to know Christ in a personal way. Um, advise yeah. us on, on kind of the 30,000-foot the pray for India level. I think there's, you know, the, the, the quick one that we could say is, pray that their hearts would be open and, and they would accept the Lord and they would hear the message and, and, and then have their lives changed. And we want that. But I think another way to pray that our listeners may not be aware of is pray for those Christians who are serving in the, in, in the government, who have those opportunities to influence. Pray that they would stay bold because they have a lot to lose. They can lose livelihoods. They can lose... A lot of times in India, when you're a government worker, you get you get housing that goes with that. So you live in a certain area of the country and the city because of that job. So if they step out too much in that job to try to influence, they could lose everything. Yeah. Um, so pray for those Christians who are working within the government to be bold, um, to have influence and to have favor, really, as they share with some of these very radical extremist people that they definitely come into contact with. Um, so pray for them to have wisdom, um, and we just we do pray that the doors stay open for for others to come in. You know, guys like myself and and many others who are out there doing that Western guys gospel workers trying to come in. Um, we want the doors to stay open. We realize that God may have another plan though with yeah. that, and and <laughs> we'll we'll accept that and we'll take that. We want to fill our role. Um, so so just pray for those. I, I think those things. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He is a Voice of the Martyrs worker in South Asia, and we've been talking today a lot about India. I want to encourage you, as we've just talked about this week, 
take some time to pray, especially for the nation of India, to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters there, to pray for Hindus there to come to know Christ, uh, to pray for Muslims there to come to know Christ. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you, as you've heard these stories, we know God is working in India. Uh, Pray this week, especially for that nation. Aaron, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your heart this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks for having me, Todd. You have been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, you can log on and listen to this conversation again at our website, which is vomradio.net. You can also subscribe to our podcast or find a Christian radio station in your area that is broadcasting VOM Radio every week. So join us online at vomradio.net, and we will see you next week to talk more about what God is doing around the world. 